Throughout this Easter season, we've replaced our customary Old Testament reading with a reading from Luke's book of the Acts of the Apostles. And this week, the final week in Easter, is no exception as we continue Paul's journey in Macedonia. Now, there's a tendency to read the book of Acts as a kind of history of the early church. And in so doing, we're able to put a distance between what we read and what our life experience is today. And I think this may be a mistake. I think that Acts is better thought of as a demonstration of the Holy Spirit at work in the world. And by tracing how the Spirit worked for the early disciples, we can start to see, get a glimpse of where Spirit's at today in our lives. So as we read Acts, I think we have the opportunity to start to understand how and where Holy Spirit might be at work. And more than anything else, Spirit puts the disciples in places outside of their comfort zones, both physically and spiritually. Philip finds himself on an abandoned road in the middle of nowhere, where he encounters an African eunuch reading Isaiah. Peter dreams of a bedsheet filled with creatures of all kinds, clean and unclean, and gets direction from that to disregard the Jewish purity laws. And he later finds himself in the home of a Roman centurion, who's both a Gentile and also the hated enemy. And he welcomes the centurion to his new faith. And today, we find Paul in the heart of Gentile land. He's in Macedonia, which is just above Greece. He's far away from his home, which would be in western Syria. And he's surrounded by people that are different from him, as different as they can be. And Paul's continuing his evangelism. Now, you may recall last week he met a wealthy woman, that we learned the name of Lydia, who hears Paul's message and becomes a convert and eventually a patron, supporting his evangelism throughout the region. But this week we're introduced to another woman, kind of at the opposite end of the social scale. She's an unnamed slave woman who has the gift of divination. She can tell fortunes. And her owners are profiting from this by having her tell those fortunes to people in the marketplace. Now, in the New Testament, Paul often comes across as kind of a cranky old man. And at first glance, this seems to be no exception. But it is worth pointing out that the slave girl follows him and Silas for many days before his patient wears out. He finally breaks and orders the spirit out of the girl, and the spirit leaves that very hour. That's when things get ugly. Now, it's worth noting that for all those previous days, Paul and Silas are able to share their words freely. And it's not until they disrupt someone's ability to make money that they get in trouble. And reflecting forward, I think sometimes our Western blend of what might be called Christian capitalism, where money-making is seen as a God-given right, you might take notice of this revolutionary spin that happens in the book of Acts. Paul and Silas are fine until the money-making stops. And then look at how the wronged owners respond. With a racist slur. These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews. They 
they're Jews. The first thing the powerful slave owners do is turn Paul and Silas into others. They are Jews. I mean, imagine it in our current context. These men are disturbing our city. They are gay. These men are disturbing our city. They're Muslims. They're immigrants. They're black. In Acts, the overwhelming urge of the people when separated from the Spirit is to separate, to pull apart, to turn someone into another. Even the disciples at the opening of Acts feel the need to break away. In chapter 1, upon seeing the risen Christ for the first time, the first thing they think to ask is, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They don't see Jesus as a uniter of all peoples, but as their own nationalist ally. People left to their own devices still find ways to separate, to isolate, to create others. In this week's reading, we see what Paul and Silas do, though, when they're filled with the Spirit. It's very different. They're singing hymns and prayers, and when magically set free by an earthquake, they stay put. They comfort the distraught jailer. This is their oppressor, the one who put them in chains. And they point him toward salvation. While everyone else seeks to sow division and difference, they bring people together. I think more than anything else in the book of Acts, we learn the Holy Spirit is about bringing people together. It's about creating community. It's about creating church. Philip is united with the African eunuch. Peter with the Gentile centurion. Paul and Silas with the the jailer. The Holy Spirit is about unity. And today's gospel reading from John is about unity as well. It's often referred to as Jesus' priestly prayer, as he offers prayers of intercession for the disciples and those who follow, including the community of John and including us. He asks on our behalf that they may all be one. These are some of Jesus' last words before his passion. And it's notable that he prays simply for unity and love. And we don't know what kind of divisions were tearing the fabric of the disciples' unity when Jesus was there, although I think we're given a later glimpse in the competitiveness between Peter and John's beloved disciple as they run a foot race to the side of the resurrection or try to swim fastest to shore. We also don't know what divisions were pulling apart John's community when this was written. But I think it's fair to say that no matter where you are, I think we could all agree that we could characterize conditions in our world today as divided. Divided in this country, divided between people with a lot and people with nothing, divided between nations. Just as we saw in the book of Acts, When left our own devices, we'll create our divisions. We'll use these to turn God's people into others. And then we'll cry out, these men are disturbing our city, our community, our country, our church. And use that as an excuse to have them beaten or thrown in prison. 
Meanwhile, Jesus' only prayer is for unity and love. The Holy Spirit's overwhelming action is to bring us together, to overcome our false sense of separation, of division, and isolation. Peggy mentioned last week how the Holy Spirit sometimes has a tendency to nudge us a bit, then nudge us a bit more, and then, if we still don't get it, to kind of whack us over the head. I think that happens individually. I know in my case it has. I think it can also happen collectively to all of us. But until we hear the Spirit's message of unity, until we hear Jesus' message of unity and love, until we hear those messages and listen, the Spirit's going to keep testing our limits. Maybe that's what's happening at the border. As I write this, I find myself obsessed with the latest news of the flooding that is, te- that is testing our state, our county, and even several members of our church. Talk about a metaphor for division. As rising waters prevent people from returning to their homes or their loved ones. But I'm also struck by how members of our community, and, and especially this church, have reached out to overcome those those divisions, those artificial divisions that the water's creating. How, what they're doing to help out each other. A simple ask this week in an email and on Facebook for food and water for the volunteers at Beaver Fork Fire Department resulted in us taking truckloads of stuff to them to the point that they said we can't handle anymore. We partnered with the diocese to donate hundreds of dollars to the cause. And today, as you heard me say earlier, we're making a special ask in the offertory to support those in need. That's Holy Spirit at work. That's our version of Paul and Silas singing hymns and praying in the prison. That's our version of Paul's message of salvation, of the unity in Jesus Christ to his oppressor, the prison guard. The 4th century bishop of Constantinople, John Chrysostom, famously claimed that people would, quote, know the teacher by the actions of his disciples. I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. In St. Peter's early response to the flooding around us, I think we're living up to our part. We've got plenty more to do. It's true. When left to our own devices, we will find ways to divide and separate to isolate and make people into the other. Just watching the evening news is a daily reminder of that. But when we let ourselves be filled with the Spirit, when we listen to Jesus' urgent prayer for unity and love, then God helps us overcome those divisions. This morning, I urge us to keep an eye out for those spaces where Holy Spirit is doing her work of bringing us together with each other, with God. It's what she does. In his letter to the Galatians, we find a less cranky apostle, Paul, asserting our unity. He tells us that in Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, for we are all one in Christ. Unity, loving each other. It's arguably the single overarching message of the entire gospel. As we go out today, whether it's in today's Pride Parade or just out in the world, 
Let's look for those things that bring us together, not those ghosts that seem to pull us apart. Because that's what they are. They're simply apparitions. They're figments of our human imaginations. Let's find those ties that bind us and celebrate them. Let's do all we can to strengthen them. Because we can rest assured that it's in those forces that bring us together that Holy Spirit is at work. The forces of this world may seek to divide us, but the force of God seeks to bring us together in, as the hymn goes, one big fellowship of man throughout the whole wide earth. Amen.